It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Please turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There should be a Bible on the table if you don't have one. It's on page 987 of the Bible on, on the tables if you... You're able to read along. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse one, going to verse eight. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, then, brothers, we ask you, ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave, uh, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has called us not, for God has not called us to, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I confess when I chose this text, I had no idea that David Bonner would be called to a church in Michigan. (laughs) And uh, so I I chose this text solely because I thought it was useful and helpful to, um, to us, as particularly to towards young people, as we consider some of the primary callings that we have as, as believers, I wanted to preach a sermon that would be useful to particularly young men in an increasingly immoral society. Uh, that was my, my reason for uh, choosing this text. So nothing to do with David. As a matter of fact, I, I can think of perhaps no better person to really who is modeled a walk in holiness and faithfulness in this particular area than, than David. But uh, the point is that I think this is a very important text on how we are to not only behave, but also to think as, as followers of Christ. We don't actually talk about bodily passions very often, but I think there are two big battlefields in any young man, particularly uh, their life. And by the way, I even though I'm saying young man, I consider myself to be a young man, uh, and I also won't exclude anybody from, from this, but I'm particularly thinking of, of young men. Uh, but the two big battlefields, in my opinion, are one, your mind. We are called to transform our thinking, uh, to renew our minds, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, to test and approve what God's will is. But the second thing is our bodily passions. Uh, that's also a big battlefield on any young man, in any young man's life. Kent Hughes, who was a pastor for a long time in a church in Wheaton, 
he wrote a, a book which I would commend to anybody here called um, The Disciplines of a Godly Man. It's all about how to conduct ourselves, how to think, how to grow in spiritual disciplines, and how to grow as, as young men in, in the Lord. This is what he said many years ago, and I'm going to quote two extensive quotations, so bear with me. Recently, Leadership Magazine commissioned a poll of a thousand pastors, and the pastors indicated that 12% of them had committed adultery while they were in ministry, one out of eight pastors, and 23% had done something they considered to be sexually inappropriate. Christianity Today surveyed a thousand of its subscribers who were not pastors and found the figure to be nearly double, with 23% saying they had had affairs and 45% indicating they had done something they themselves deemed sexually inappropriate. One in four Christian men are unfaithful, and nearly one-half have behaved unbecomingly. He writes, shocking statistics, especially when we remember that Christianity today, readers tend to be college-educated church leaders, elders, deacons, Sunday school superintendents, and teachers. If this is so for the church's leadership, how much more for the average member of the congregation? He continues, this leads us to an inescapable conclusion. The contemporary evangelical church broadly considered is Corinthian to the core. It is being stewed in the molten juices of its own sensuality so that it is no wonder that the church has lost its grip on holiness No wonder it is slow to discipline its members. No wonder it is dismissed by the world as irrelevant. No wonder so many of its children reject it. No no wonder it has lost its power in many places. And that Islam and other false religions are making so many converts. Sensuality is easily the biggest obstacle to godliness among men today. And it is wreaking havoc in the church. That's the end. He wrote that in 1991. Uh... I think things have only perhaps gotten worse since that time. Its sensuality is certainly one of the biggest obstacles to godliness uh, among the church today and among young men today. Uh, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of godly men. And uh, I want uh, not only myself to grow into maturity, but I want everyone here, particularly the young men, to grow into maturity. And so that means that we have to talk sometimes about obstacles that are in the way. And I think that this is a big one. So what does Paul say, and how how do we put it into practice? What does Paul say? Well, first, in verse 1, Paul says to the Thessalonians that, uh, that you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. Now, he commends them. They're doing it well. And I should just say, as far as I know, everyone seems to be doing well that I know of here. I'm not choosing this text because I have anyone in mind. Uh, In verse 2, it says that, um, Paul, for you know what instructions we gave you through through the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, if you skip down to verse 6, he says that at the very end, the last half of 6, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Paul was actually talking about this with the church in Thessalonica. in um, the to the Thessalonians, he was uh, speaking about this issue to them. 
And uh, it's, it was an important thing for him to talk about then, and it's important for us to discuss now. Let me give you one other verse to think about before I give you some background. Uh, verse 3 says that this is God's, the will of God, your sanctification. I don't know how many young men in here, but I know when I was a young man, one of the real struggles I had is the, the proverbial, what is God's will for my life? <laughs> what job should I have? Uh, who should I be married to? What, what should I be doing with my life? Um, maybe no one else has that, that struggle. I just want you to be very clear here, though, that God's will for you is your, your holiness, your sanctification. That's what God wants for you. And uh, I could make a, a distinction. Actually, I will make a distinction. I'll be kind of a geek, a geek. Uh, but the, pre- the, the preceptive will of God, or his law, is the Ten Commandments. He wants all of us to follow the Ten Commandments. Now, but there's a different kind of will, his decorative will that theologians talk about. And that's actually what's going to happen to you in your life, that God has decreed, that God has willed. That's actually a secret will that you don't know. But what he wants for you is laid out very clearly. He wants you to walk in holiness. That's what he wants for you. And within that, there's a lot of liberty as to what you are to do with your life, provided it's a lawful profession, (laughs) to provide for your family if you have a family. But you are to be holy. Um, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, just... Very quickly, too, I want to read you one of the commentators, Jeffrey Wyma. Uh, he gives us some really helpful background to what was going on um, in, this, in this particularly godless city. So, listen to this. There existed in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day a very tolerant attitude towards sexual conduct, particularly sexual activity outside of marriage. In Greco-Roman society, it was expected that married men would have relations with other women, uh, such as prostitutes, female slaves, or mistresses from lower social classes. This explains why Demosthenes, probably the greatest orator of of Greece and a respected citizen of Athens, could state matter-of-factly in his attempt to praise wives, mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, in wives in order to bear us legitimate children. He, he goes on, prostitution was a business like any other, and profit from it uh, was an important source of revenue for many respectable citizens. In addition, innkeepers and owners of cook shops frequently kept slaves for the entertainment of their customers. Adulterous activity was so widespread that the emperor Augustus established a new code of laws having to do with adultery and marriage, and a failed attempt to reform sexual practice. A number of religious cults in Thessalonica incorporated uh, sexual activity as a part of their worship practices. There is evidence in the letter that the believers were not merely being tempted to revert to their previous lifestyle, but were also strongly pressured by their fellow citizens to do so. The many references in 1 Thessalonians to the suffering being experienced by the church are best understood as referring not primarily to physical persecution, but to social harassment for the Christian's refusal 
to take part in their former cultic activities. I went through that pretty quickly, but I just wanted to say, um, in summary, what was happening was that they lived in a very sexually immoral society. And they lived in a very pagan society. That, and having read that, do you think they knew something about resisting social, the social pressures of the, of the world around them? I think they did. I think that they have something to teach us about what that might mean to resist the social harassment of those who might... Uh, look down on us or scorn us for the way that we choose to follow God's commands. So Jeffrey Wyma uh, mentions three exhortations of Paul here. The first one is very clear to, in verse three, verse 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, that's very clear. But uh, there is a lot that qualifies as sexual immorality. And uh, before we say that it's a very easy thing to do, I think it, we have to be actually honest to say the Christian understanding of, of sexuality is God's design, but it's also a very high bar. It means that um, either marriage with complete faithfulness or complete abstinence. Marriage with complete, complete faithfulness or, or complete abstinence. There's, not a, there's no in-between. And that's a very high bar. Okay? None of us are able to accomplish this in our own strength. Uh, chastity is a word that is no longer used today. <laughs> chastity, uh, the quality of being pure in thought, in dress, and in behavior, uh, that is something that, that we are called to as Christians to to separate ourselves from sexual immorality. But number two, in verse four and five, learn to control your desire and conduct. Uh, Verse four, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Um, The culture around us says to give in to your passions. No restraints. Uh, in, In any different way, by the way, even though I think Paul is clear here, he means... Your, your sexual passions, I think that it's also clear in other parts of the word that any passion can be overdone. Um, we are not to give in too much to our own desire for food. There is such a thing as gluttony. To give in too much to anger, there is a, such a thing as rage. You know, to give too much into even a, a mental state or a, a mood that is taken to an extreme. Part of learning to grow in holiness and grow up into mature adulthood is to learn to control our bodily passions. It's not, I'm not saying it is an easy thing to do. Um, and I'm not saying that we should ever think we can do this in our own strength. But it is the calling of God. In verse 6, Here's the third exhortation. So one, to abstain from sexual immorality. Two, to learn to control our bodily passions. But three, do not harm others through your sexual conduct. In verse six, uh, no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. 
do not act on your own impulses, um, just to, to raise the bar even further, I think it doesn't, it doesn't only mean your behavior. I think the, if we were to be perfectly honest in all of Scripture's teaching, I think it also means our thoughts are to be pure towards our brothers and sisters. Uh, and here are three reasons why. Here are, those were the three exhortations, and here's the three reasons why that Paul gives that we are to control our bodily passions. And one of them is the future judgment of the Lord in verse 6. The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Again, they've been talking about this. But here's a second reason God has called us to this. Verse 7, God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Again, there's that word holiness. Also related to that word sanctification. Uh, this is what God's will for you and for I, that for, for me, that we would walk in holiness, that we would walk in, sancti- in being sanctified. And then finally, verse uh, 8, and this is really where the power and strength of the Lord comes into play Whoever disregards this disregards not man but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I went through that fairly quickly, but I want to, at least I thought it was quick. Maybe, maybe you guys thought it was really long. Uh, I want to give a few suggestions on applying this, um, if you bear with me. So... One is to exercise spiritual discipline. Uh, the Word, to be in regular reading of the Word, to be in, in regular fellowship with one another and taking the sacraments, to take the Lord's Supper, to be praying with one another together, um, that's essential. That's essential for any person, man or woman, young or old. But another suggestion is to be careful of the wandering eye. Be careful what you look at. Job 31.1 says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How could I gaze at a virgin or not look lustfully at a girl? Uh, If you remember David, what was David's sin? One of David's many sins. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. Not this David, please. (laughs) Not that David. Um, David, King David, in 2 Samuel 11 uh, when all the other kings were out on the battlefield, it was the time of war, he chose not to go along. And he woke up one day and saw something he shouldn't have. And I, I think the implication of that text in Second Samuel 11 is that he kept staring. And it ended up uh, leading him to not only adultery, uh, but to murder. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, uh, made the observation that when lust takes control, at this moment God loses all reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. I think that when David woke up that morning, it wasn't that he hated God. I don't think that was a part of it. I think that he just forgot. I think he forgot about God's reality. And um, sadly, it led to untold pain and suffering. Be careful 
So be careful of the wandering eye. Be careful of a lack of community. Um, everyone in here is called to some form of community, and uh, particularly the community and fellowship of the church. Uh, traditional cultures, you actually found your purpose in family, in your spouse, in your community. But in our culture, we're told to go out and find ourselves alone, <laughs> to go out and find your purpose and meaning and passion in life. And uh, that's, it's a search that is, is a, uh, it's a fool's errand. It's an elusive search. You'll never find yourself going out there to look for it apart from God. Uh, you, you find yourself in the community of sinners at the foot of the cross. Also, very quickly, our ultimate help towards holiness, or one of our ultimate, one of the ways, maybe it's not ultimate, maybe it's the penultimate. The ultimate way is the help of the Holy Spirit, but one of the penultimate ways is marriage. And that could be an entire sermon on itself. And again, I don't think that this passage speaks a lot about marriage or at all about marriage, but I think it's in the background. Let me just say a few words about that. Uh, Be careful, first and foremost, be careful of buying into the idea of the culture about marriage. And because um, here's what the culture says. I'm taking this from a a Christian sociologist. His name is Mark Rignerez. He said that the culture's idea of marriage is a capstone view of marriage. And in the capstone view of marriage, if you think of a capstone on a pyramid, it's the very top piece of the pyramid. And so if the culture, even in East Texas, even, in, even around here, if the culture th- says that you should get married, which not everybody says that. Some people say you should just live however you want. But if the culture does say you should get married, they say you have to get your life together first. You have to, if you, go to, if you want to be a student, you have to go and be a student, get a you know, work, you need to go get a job and um, maybe pay off all these loans and all of these things. All of those are good things. I'm not arguing they're not. But um, their idea is that one day when you have everything together, when you got your life shaped up, then you get married. Then you get married. And that's probably why, according to a lot of statistics, I don't have one with me, but I think the, marriage age, the, the average marriage age keeps getting older and older and older. It's because people don't really feel like they're ready or fit to be married. And they feel like they have to get their life together because that's what the culture says. And I think, I just want to say, as Scripture as a whole, I don't think that's the scriptural view of marriage. I think a, Scripture's view of marriage, God's view of marriage, is not a capstone on a pyramid. It's, in fact, a foundation for life. Um, it's the foundation. It's that you get married and you go through the big things in life together. Uh, you hit the big, the big issues and you have to work through them. And part of working through them means that we grow in holiness together and that we seek the Lord together, that we make these big decisions together. Um, and again, let me just be really clear too. I'm not telling anyone to run out here and get any of you to run out and get married tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Okay, so be careful. I'm not saying that any of those other things are bad. If you choose to go to school, that's great. Um, if you choose to, you know, maybe you need to pay off some student loans. Okay, whatever you need to do. But I'm just saying be careful of buying into the idea 
that you have to have your life together before you get married. I don't think that's a biblical idea. You'll never have your life together, by the way. I, I still don't have my life together. Um, talk with your parents about these kinds of things. If your parents are trustworthy people, and if they're, if they're here tonight, I think they probably are trustworthy people. They have your best interest at heart, okay? And I think that they probably, if you were really honest with yourself, would admit they may have some wisdom to offer you in that area. Memorize scripture. This is a great scripture to memorize. Um, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That we would live according to the word. Finally, I want to end here. Uh, I hope that none of you throughout this entire message have been panged with that feeling of guilt. Like, oh no, I, 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 I hadn't lived up. Oh no. I have been impure. Oh no, in some form or fashion, I have been immoral in this particular area. And I want you to know that um, if you have stumbled, currently are stumbling, have met somebody who stumbles, there is grace. It is a throne of grace. Um, We are called to holiness, and that means taking this area of life seriously. But none of us are pure completely. None of us measure up completely. And all of us need grace. All of us need the hope of the gospel. In this area, especially. Um, Especially. Do not look down your nose at other people. Are you really better than they are in this area? Are you really? Uh, Be careful about that. If we excluded everybody from church who was sexually immoral in some form or fashion, uh, Augustine would not have been in the church. Augustine, in his early life, uh, hung out at the public bathhouse at that time. It is a throne of grace. And the Lord Jesus came to die on our behalf because we needed him and we were impure that none of us were completely pure. None of us were without sin and guilt. So it is very important that we talk about it, and it's very important that we confess sin. I don't think you need to confess it to everybody, but I do think that there are appropriate people and times and places to confess sin and to seek forgiveness and to seek the comfort that only God can provide. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to live a new life. And if you want real victory in that particular area, and you should, then you need to know the Lord, and you need to walk with him every day. You need to be at the foot of the cross every day. Uh, You need to be in prayer every day. It is a true battle, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, none of us have any victory. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the throne of grace that Christ has led us to. Uh, We thank you that he came to die for all those who have been sexually immoral. And we, we confess 
that all of us in some form or fashion are impure, in the very least in, in our thoughts. And so we pray that you would lead us to Christ again and again, lead us to feed upon your word. I pray that we would not compromise your word and accept the standards of the world in regards to our behavior in this area. I pray that we would stick very closely to what you have said in your word. At the same time, I pray that it would not leave us with a sense of hopelessness. We confess that you are holy and you alone, but we do thank you that you give us your spirit. And we pray that by your spirit and through your word and through the fellowship of the saints, that we would grow up into maturity. We pray that there would be real victory, and we know that it is possible. It is not impossible, but we pray that uh, you would grant us the grace to submit to your will and desire in this area of our life. Give hope and encouragement uh, to any of the, any of anyone here, any of our friends and family who have stumbled, are stumbling in this area and need help. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.